Good morning. The reading today can be found on page 993 in your pew Bibles. It is 1 Timothy chapter 6, verses 3 through 7. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. But godliness with contentment is great gain, for we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. May I please offer us a a prayer of thanksgiving? Lord, we are thankful for all that you've given us. We are thankful for our opportunity to live in this great country, to live in this great state, opportunity to have the freedom to to openly worship you. Lord, we, we thank you for Pastor Cody. We thank you for the w- words and insights that he'll provide in his sermon today. Lord, we want to thank you for the challenges that we face. Help us, like Job, face these challenges in a, in a way that is glorifying to you and and. and w- and, and learn from all that you've you've put before us. Amen. Well, we find ourselves continuing in our study of First Timothy, and we here we have really reached the uh, the the final part of this book. And yes, we're in the final chapter, but in many other ways, we're really concluding uh, the study of First Timothy here. And would encourage you as we. Prepare for the summer, we'll continue uh, preaching faithfully by God's grace, but we're going to take a bit of a break from the the New Testament. We're going to go to the Old, and we're going to go through some of the Psalms, and I'll be releasing which ones we're we're going to be going through in the coming weeks. Well, look with me at 1 Timothy chapter 6. The title of the sermon is, Godliness is Gain. Godliness is Gain, and we will, I think, see that very clearly, especially as we get down to verse 6 and 7. Well, if you have in your Bibles there, uh, the ESV study Bible, or maybe you're using the Bible on the pew in front of you, you'll see this heading of false teachers and true contentment. And they've slipped in underneath that heading, verse 2b. And the question then is, what do you do with 2b? Does it go with 2a? Does it go with 3? Well, I think it actually goes with 2a, but it's a good segue into 3 through verse 7. Paul, again, telling Timothy, warning Timothy of the people and of the fruit of false doctrine. It's been a a constant theme in this book. Look with me to the left of, in the left of your Bible to 1 Timothy chapter 1. Notice in verse 3, we begin right away with the book of Timothy warning, Paul warning Timothy Telling Timothy what to do. Timothy, remain at Ephesus. Charge certain people not to teach false doctrine. 
He got into it again in verse 19 and 20 of of chapter 1. Again in chapter 4, verses 1 through 3. Warning Timothy about those who would be within the church teaching anything other than the sound words of Jesus Christ. He taught us about the type of preachers that we should have in chapter 3. He told us how we should support, should support them in chapter 5, verse 17. He's going to warn Timothy about the love of money in chapter 6, 9 through 10. But he gives probably the, the most fleshed out understanding of who these people are, who these false teachers are in our text for this morning. In fact, if you take all of the pastoral epistles, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Titus, Timothy, 1 Timothy, is by far the hardest on false doctrine, false doctrine, false teachers. He just lets it go. Paul lets it fly again and again and again with great urgency, with great importance, warning Timothy about what is going to happen. If you're taking notes this morning, I would encourage you to write down this one sentence. I think it's the summation of Paul's teaching here in 3 through 7 for us today. And that is this. The only antidote to false teaching is the teaching of eternal gain. The gospel of Jesus Christ. The only antidote to false teaching is the teaching of eternal gain. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Well, let's look at that this morning. And if you're taking notes... I've simply divided the passage into two parts. Verses 3 through 5 is point number 1, false teachers and their fruit. And then we'll look at verses 6 and 7 for part number 2. False teachers and their fruit. Well, who are these people? Historically, who are these people? You need to, you need to understand that in Paul's day, in Timothy's day, the, the fledgling church, the early church, as there was an establishment of leaders and elders, there were volunteer teachers. Uh, you know, sort of circuit riders, if you will, that would come to the church and they would say, hey, I've got a word, or yes, I've been trained. And, and so the church would say, well, come on in and here's the pulpit and say what you like. And most of these people were influenced greatly by Greek philosophy and argumentation. Uh, They weren't submitted to any particular church. They certainly weren't submitted to Timothy. That was historically what he had to fight. I think there's certainly the application for Timothy as well, that there were people within his church that just did not understand sound doctrine. Or maybe they were hearing it, whatever Timothy was preaching, but they were putting their own spin on it. Timothy may be going to them and confronting them about how they were twisting certain doctrines, and, and yet they were thinking, well... Isn't Christianity about me and Jesus? Why should I have to listen to a pastor tell me what is right and what is wrong? And Paul tells Timothy, these false teachers, those who teach some different doctrine and don't agree with the gospel of Jesus Christ, they have five characteristics and they actually have five fruits. Look with me. Five characteristics you see beginning in verse 4. Really, in verse 3, they teach a different doctrine. They don't agree with sound doctrine. They're puffed up with conceit. They understand nothing. They have an unhealthy craving for controversy and quarrels about words. Five particular characteristics of these people. 
And we could go into detail about what they are. And here's a few things you should understand. They're puffed up with conceit. They're proud people. The Greek word actually renders that to inflate with smoke. And the picture I had is someone who has got a big cigar or cigarette. Sucks it all in and just puffs out nothing. Something. Certainly nothing that's going to do anything. But they think themselves swollen with something. And yet Paul says it's conceit. It's proud. They understand nothing. Why do they understand nothing? Because anything other other than the truth of Jesus Christ, anything other than the sound words of Scripture is nothing. It doesn't go anywhere. It can't produce any sound fruit, and it certainly doesn't produce eternal gain. 1 Corinthians 8, verse 2. If anyone imagines that he knows something, he does not yet know as he ought to know. Well, we also see their fruit. You see that in the second part of verse 4 through verse 5. It produces something, This these characteristics. It produces envy. It produces dissension. It produces slander, evil suspicions, constant friction. And notice the constant friction isn't with the people of Jesus. It's with those who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. It's with Romans 1 people. That have been darkened in their understanding to the gospel of Jesus Christ. When you think of these fruits, uh, you can get the picture of the dogfight of the corporate ladder. You're just constantly using any particular gain you may have to advance your cause. And that's exactly what they're doing here. They're, they're constantly shifting and setting themselves up in order to get gain. And that is namely financial gain. They're twisting their teaching so that others will say, that sounds good, here's $5. That sounds good, here's $10,000. Whatever it might be to promote themselves in order that they might not gain souls for Christ, but gain money for their pocket. They have an unhealthy craving for controversy. And there is, in a sense, a healthiness that comes, and actually a healthy craving even, that comes when a person is converted by the Holy Spirit through the gospel of Jesus Christ. When an individual goes from hell to grace, from hell to heaven, they actually do develop a healthy craving. And that is a craving for God's word, a craving for God's people. A craving that is not for themselves, but for the glory of God and the help of others. A craving for truth. But they handle themselves in a much different way than is described here. In fact, we could go to Titus and 2 Timothy and even back in 1 Timothy and recognize that one of the fruits of a sound pastor is he has a craving for truth. And he does not shirk from proclaiming the truth From house to house, as Paul modeled for the pastor in Acts chapter 20. That he would go from house to house and not shirk from proclaiming the truth. And that's the model of a a healthy, faithful pastor. So there is a healthy craving, but these people have an unhealthy craving. Not for truth, but for their own means of gain. You could take these five characteristics and five fruits. and, And just, let's just step back a little bit and say... Are these the characteristics of a healthy Christian? 
No. Romans 12, 14 through 18. Let's put that, this passage, Romans, up against these false teachers. And I think it's clear. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. It's pretty clear. The doctrine that these people held to were producing fruit that was not sound. That was not faithful. In fact, when we've been studying First Timothy, I've read this aloud to you a number of times and I'll do it again now. It's what I believe is really a, a summation statement of the entire book of Timothy and it's not mine, it's derived from the book. Biblical sound doctrine springing from a pure faith will be confirmed in the church through sound living and sound teaching. And in fact... It's not confirmed here in chapter 6. Their sound living is not that at all. Their, their living is unsound because it's springing from unsound doctrine. And what we see, clearly see in scripture is if you decide to, to, to play with unsound doctrine, it only will produce one fruit. Unsound living. And if you want to Commit yourself to sound doctrine. That again only has one fruit. Sound living. You see here in chapter 6, 3 through 5 really. False teachers desire the wrong gain. And in fact our society is ripe for false teachers. This church, faithful churches are ripe for false teachers. We have a society that is driven by acceptance, or at least that's what we're told we're driven by. A love for approval, a fear of confrontation. Any ideas now are now violence. If I was to warn someone of their sin, that that is hate speech now. And therefore we're open to all sorts of things to come into the church. Because we can't tell them they're wrong or that would be unloving to them. You see how we're ripe for this? And false teachers, they're, they're often the ones that are the most subtle. They're persuasive. Um, you can think of the Beth Moores of today, or the Joyce Myers, or the latest one that's been running across the internet, Andy Stanley. These people, they're good, sound speakers. You know, they, they obviously speak with passion, and they would even say that they love Jesus. But they twist slightly, and it bears bad fruit. In fact, I I think probably the fear of most pastors today, at least those that are faithful, is what you guys listen to as soon as you leave this pew. You know, I, I can't compete with the radio or YouTube or sermon audio. But you can, you can turn on a thousand sermons as soon as this, this message is over with a thousand different preachers and say, now how did they render 1 Corinthians 6, 3 through 5? It's a thousand to one. I'm not going to win this game. False teaching even then can arise out of not only a desire for money, which is clear here, 
but it also can arise out of reaching for the lost. You know, we, we want to see a church full of people. And so we begin to soften certain doctrines. Or, or we recognize false doctrine and so we swing it. You know? Yes, it's not just a hyper grace, do whatever you want, so let's work hard for Jesus and then we swing into legalism. Out of a pursuit of holiness, right? We can, that can end up into false doctrine. It's subtle, it's, it's quick, it's easy. And I would say that the modern day false teacher, and I'm speaking of the ones that aren't awfully, often seen, we could speak of the Creflo Dollars and the Benny Hens and all of those, but you know, the ones that you hear on the radio, those you don't, you don't normally hear. If you had to say what they look like or what they sound like, they're probably look like this, they're probably a faithful attendee of a church. And that church probably desires to see the gospel change people. And they're probably willing to water down doctrine just a bit to see more people to come to church. That church probably isn't biblically structured. Elders and deacons and the male pastorate. And that faithful attendee probably attends at least one, if not a number of non-profit ministries and may have one of their own that they actually started. I think if Paul was here today, the false teachers he'd be warning about are the ones who have non-profit ministries. Because there's no submission to the church as a whole. They can do whatever they want and they get a lot of money. Well, we see this subtle twisting of doctrine and false teachers even cropping up now in what has been historically for the past 40 years faithful denominations. A study was recently done of the PCA, uh, a, do, a denomination that has held probably more firm than just about any other denomination in the past 40 years to the Word of God. And in 2014, that was four years ago, a lot has happened in four years. Four years ago, it was found that PCA members who say homosexuality should be accepted was 49%. Well, that sounds pretty good. You're under 50, right? Well, actually, there was 11% that were in the gray area of either not sure or I don't know. So there's 60%. That was four years ago of the PCA member who would say they're at least unsure or in agreement with homosexuality. This is the false teaching of our day, is the, is the teaching, the, the false doctrine of sexuality, whether it's feminism, or egalitarianism, or transgenderism, or homosexuality. We get men and women mixed up all the time. And it's happening. Doctrine, if sound, will lead to sound living. Thus the scripture's warning for us constantly is to examine ourselves. Examine what we're reading. Examine who we're listening to. Examine who's influencing you. Examine your commitment to the church. Examine how you think about whatever I say here. Yes, be a good Berean. Go home and study. Open your Bible. But submit yourself to sound doctrine. You know, the illustration that comes to my mind, and it's been 
that which is continually coming to mind, mind lately as I've been preparing for sermons is I've been going to Pilgrim's Progress and just seeing how John Bunyan worked out some of these characters. And we see one of the ways he worked it out was this uh, time where Christian and Faithful, if you're familiar with the story, Christian and Faithful are walking on this road and a gentleman comes up and he begins talking with them and his name is Talkative. And Talkative has all sorts of things he wants to say. And Christian knows this man talkative from the town Christian has come from. And and in fact, Faithful is excited about this man talkative. Because talkative is saying all the right things. And he's just jumping in and they're having this encouraging conversation. And Faithful turns to Christian and says, Oh, this is great. We've got another guy that's going to go with us. And Christian says, Be warned. This is what he says. Remember the proverb talkative. They say and do not. But the kingdom of God is not in word but in power. All therefore whatsoever they bid you observe. They observe and do. But do not ye after their works. For they say and do not. Matthew 23.3 For the kingdom of God is not in word but in power. 1 Corinthians 4.20 He goes on. Quote. he, He meaning talkative. Talks of prayer. He talks of repentance. He talks of faith. He talks of the new birth. But he knows, but only to talk of them. I have been in his family, says Christian, and have observed him both at home and abroad, and I know that what I say of him is the truth. His house is as empty of religion as the white of an egg is of, sav- is of savor. There is there neither prayer nor repentance of sin for sin. Yea, the brute in his kind serves God far better than he. He is the very stain, reproach, and shame of religion to all that know him. You see, false doctrine will lead to false living. And it may not be seen on the front. The facade might be there, but this is the importance of knowing people and committing yourself to others that we might see around the facade and the faithfulness that may or may not be there. Now, let's transition to six and seven. First of all, we have to understand that what Paul is speaking about godliness, uh, meaning, he says there in ver- end of verse 5, imagine that godliness is a means of gain. And what he's speaking of is financial gain. Certainly in chapter 5, he's told us that, that those who are serving godly, in godly ways, those who are making their living in the procl- proclamation of the gospel, should be supported. But that the reason why they're preaching the gospel is not to be for gain. The gain is not the driving force. And in fact, we could go other places, but but Paul tells Timothy, listen, have nothing to do with these people. Distance yourself from them. Make it clear that you're not on their side. Why? Because this false teaching distracts from the only means by which one can obtain godliness. This false teaching is the only it distracts from the only means by which one can obtain godliness. And this is, this is really the point here in 6 and 7. That's point number 2 if you're taking notes. Godliness is the greatest gain. Godliness is the greatest gain. The New American Standards renders verse 6 as this. But godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. You know what's so interesting here is that Paul does not call us to pursue godliness. He is going to in verse 11 of chapter 6 in the coming weeks, but he doesn't do so here. 
He actually just states godliness is gain, is a means of great gain. And I think what is clear here is that godliness initially is not our own. You know, this this would be the swing, would it not? This this would be where we could say, well, we don't want to teach morality and we but we want to teach pursuing Christ, so let's teach that you should pursue godliness. And and that is wonderful. We should teach pursuing godliness, but not at the expense of first saying, you in no way by yourself can be godly without the conversion of Jesus Christ, without Jesus Christ converting you from your sin. That the godliness is a means of gain because it's gifted to you in salvation. That, that as God justifies you, as he makes you right, as he removes the penalty of your sin once and for all, as he enables and actually produces in you sanctification, that is eternal gain. And it has nothing to do with you. It's a gift of God, lest any man should boast. And in actuality, it is only through that gift that you're enabled to pursue godliness. So really, we have to ask the first question, which is, have you been converted? Have you been saved? Don't spin your wheels and go home and say, well, I just need to read my Bible more. I shouldn't listen to that guy. I should listen to this guy. Or I should really go to Wednesday night service. Ah, Well, well, sure, do some of those things. But but that's not going to produce anything if you've not been converted. Have you submitted your life to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? Have you repented of your sin and recognized that Christ alone is the one that can save you? Have you recognized that your hope is not in finances, but in the resurrection of Jesus Christ alone? The only antidote to false teaching is the teaching of eternal gain, the gospel. Why? Because when we proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ, what becomes very clear very quickly is that I don't need anything else. I don't need the dollars in my bank account to to, to read black instead of red. Because I've got everything in Christ. Oh, it would be nice. But it doesn't have an eternal value. Like the gospel of Jesus Christ has. And notice what happens. For we brought nothing into the world. And we cannot take anything out of the world. Are, are you content with the gospel of Jesus Christ alone? Are you content with the righteousness of Christ alone? Are you content with the inheritance that you have in Christ? Are you content with the position the gospel has placed you in as sons of the Father? Is is Romans 8.31, what shall we say to these things if God is for us? If God is for you, is that enough for you? Are you content with that? What about 8.38? For I am sure that neither death nor life, angels, rulers... Things present nor things to come nor powers or anything can remove us from the love of Christ. Is that, are you content with that? Or do you need something else to make you happy tomorrow morning? What about Ephesians 1? Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly place. Are you content with the spiritual blessing that you've been provided for in Christ? What about 2 Peter 1? 
Verse 3, his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Are you content with what God has put into your life now and where he's placed you now? What about Revelation 1? Grace to you and peace from him who is and was and who is to come and from the seven spirits who are before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead, the ruler of kings on earth, to him who loves us and has freed us from our sins by his blood. Is that enough? Or do you need more? Hebrews thirteen five. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. For he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. If you're in Christ, that's true of you today, that he will never leave you and forsake you. Are you content with that or do you need something else? Do you need your body to be healed? Do you need the pain of circumstances to go away? It'd be nice. But do you need it? The antibody to false teaching is the gospel and its implication and empowerment for sanctification. And it's not just financial contentment here, it's also circumstantial. We could go to Philippians chapter 1. You know, Paul's in prison. And he says, don't worry. This actually has been really good. Because there's been some guards around here. And they've heard. And guess what? They're right ne- next to the the guy up in charge. Caesar, whatever his name is. And Nero, or whatever his name is. And they're telling him. And so I'm great with imprisonment. Really? Paul? You're good with that? Yeah, because why? I've got Christ. And, and I don't. it doesn't matter if I'm in these chains. He ends Philippians chapter 4. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. And in every circumstance I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger and abundance and need. Why? Because I'm in Christ. I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. He's strengthened me. I can do whatever He's called me to do. It's okay. What a word for us. So are you content with Christ? And if you don't know, why don't you ask somebody this afternoon? Ask your spouse. And if you really want an honest answer, ask your children what they think of your contentment level. Throughout church history, brothers and sisters, there is this constant thread of either false doctrine or true. Christ told us this in Matthew 7. There's some who are going to go through the broad gate and there's some who's going to go through the narrow gate and that's just the summation of it. There's two paths. There's two, there's two doctrines. There's false, there's true. There's two fruits. There's false, there's true. And, and there's this constant, always, you're either going to be on one or on the other. There's no, there's no gray area. Doctrine does matter. You reading your Bible matters. The, the, the fruit comes from the root. You know, what, what are you rooted in to find what you believe is true? Is it scripture or is it just what I say or the next guy says? We, we, we must know the gospel. And I don't mean how to come to Christ. I don't mean Jesus loves me this I know for the Bible tells me so. And that is that is the gospel and that is wonderful. But do you understand the facets of it? Do you understand what it means to be justified? Can you defend that? Do you understand what it means to be sanctified? And that God does the work of sanctification and that you are enabled to join in that work. Can you defend that? What about the doctrine of glorification? What about adoption? What about the doctrine of the church? All of these things spring from the gospel. Can you defend them? Because if you can't, then we're open to false teaching. We must be those who are good Bereans. We must know these things. Fathers and mothers, the best thing, one of the best things you can do is to catechize your children within the home. 
just to teach them the, the doctrines of Scripture. Read from the Bible and then explain it to them. Prepare them for the false teaching of the world that they will encounter by teaching them the sound doctrine of Scripture. They're going to be out there. Teach them. And teach them what the, the false teaching will sound like. Will we, as believers in Jesus Christ, defend the purity of the bride of Christ by knowing the Scripture? And the souls of you and your family, that's what's at stake. You know, this isn't just, well, you know, this church has got a false doctrine and, well, we're so glad that we're in the church that may or tries or pursues true doctrine. That sounds great. No, no. This is the hinge between heaven and hell. And may we be those who pursue it with great boldness. He's going to tell us in the coming weeks in verse 11 as we close, but as for you, O man of God, flee these things. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, steadfastness, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and about which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. May that be said of us this week. Let's pray. Father, we'll sing here in a moment of the glory of Christ. The builder of the church, the enabler of the church, the savior of the church. And Father, without Christ, all our efforts are in vain. Unless the Lord builds the house, They labor in vain who build it. Father, help us to understand the teaching of Jesus Christ. Not necessarily everything he said, but uh, the summation of the scriptures. May we understand the, the gospel. May we understand teaching that accords with godliness. That is, teaching that produces fruit that is pleasing to you, that is glorifying to you, our God and Father. Father, help us. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear. May we, may we be sensitive to the slightest twist. And may we with love teach and encourage and admonish those around us to pursue the sound teaching of Scripture. Father, it is a joy and a delight to know that we don't do this alone, that you've provided us the Holy Spirit who helps us with these things, who leads us and guides us into all truth. As Christ even prayed for his disciples in John 17, that you help us. We're delighted to know that. That you give us through daily repentance the ability to, to course correct. Because the truth of the matter is, Father, that no, I was not content with Christ alone this week. I wanted more sleep. Uh, I wanted more money. Uh, I, I wanted stress to fade. We all want these things. And no, we, we weren't content to know that the inheritance of Christ was, was all that we needed. But, Father, 
graciously you've given us the ability and even today through the preaching of the word to course correct for this coming week. And what a joy it is to know that as we walk in truth, there is contentment. There is great gain. There is peace that passes all understanding. And, it, and we don't have to wonder what truth to walk in. It's clearly laid out before us. It grows dusty on the shelf. But we've pulled it off this morning and we've dusted it off and we've looked at it. And I trust and am thankful that your spirit would have landed this truth upon my heart and our hearts this morning. That we might conform to the image of your son and you might gain great glory through this church. Help us now. In the precious and holy name of Jesus we pray. Amen.